<clears throat> I waited on my knees, having done everything my master had requested of me. My hands bound behind my back. I looked up at my master waiting for the next command. He stood over and he said, open wide, be prepared to take it. I slowly and cautiously opened my mouth and closed my eyes, but was met with a slap across the face. Ah, 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 he said. I didn't say Simon Says. Welcome everybody to the Adult Fan Fiction World Championships. It is the night that we dare to ask the question, Smut If. This is our very special Innuendo 69. This is our gaming competition. All of the comedians that you will see here tonight will be writing an erotic fan fiction about video games or some sort of gaming. I'm your host, TV's Noah, here for Plus Two Comedy, and I am happy to be teamed up with Flying V for this fantastic second evening of tonight's festivities. Second evening of tonight, second evening of this three-day festival of smut. So uh, to get us started, uh, I'm going to ask Navi to join me from the Flying V so we can tell you a little bit about tonight's show. Hey, Lol. it's Navi! <laughs> Lol. <laughs> What's going on, Navi? Starting off strong. What's yeah, up, Noah? It was bound to happen. <laughs> it's all good. Are How you are you doing for... tonight? Night two. Yes, yeah. This is, this is taking a lot out of me, but uh, mm. <laughs> I'm excited for a very... Exciting night. I'm, I'm already stumbling. This is bad. <laughs> no, I mean, it is night two of tonight, so there's, yes. it's, it, we've had multiple nights. Um, by the way, I I don't know if you're seeing our personal chat. There's four new names for the wheel. Four new names already. for the wheel. All right, mm -hmm. I'll pull up the, the wheel while you tell us a little bit about what's going on. Absolutely. Hi, everyone. How's it doing? Navi here. Uh, he, they. I'm the uh, artistic lead of Flying V's R&D department, which is primarily responsible for all this wonderful nerd shit that we do, including the adult fan fiction uh, world championships, which, uh, as Noah mentioned, this is night two of a three-night spectacular. Uh, yesterday, we had Pen and Kink, our literary night. Tomorrow night is Blood and Butts, our horror night. Um, and... Tonight is Innuendo 69, our gaming, video game, board game, tabletop game, night, etc. Um, before we get started, uh, I just have a few to thank our sponsors. Yes. To tell you a little bit about ourselves because we are sponsored for this event. Yeah. We have sponsored two smut. amazing sponsors who are sponsoring the literary smut world. Um, first and foremost, uh, though, uh, again, Flying V, we are a nerd pop culture steeped performing arts company based out of the DC metropolitan area. That is the Washington DC metropolitan area, uh, not the DC comics metropolitan area. Um, in addition to fan fiction, we also do theater, we do pro wrestling, we do workshops, we do all sorts of events. Uh, you can find us at flyingv.org. We've got some other events coming up, including a big wrestling show at the beginning Ooh. of next month. Um, and Catherine, who is a member of our leadership team, is should be in the chat right now, dropping helpful links, bios, and info about all of the people who will be performing tonight. And, you know, we'll just be providing good moral support. Everyone be sure to say hi to Catherine in the chat on the Flying V handle. Um, all right, let's see these sponsors real quick. Uh, first and foremost, special thank you to Uberlube for uh, sponsoring some of the prizes for tonight's proceedings. Yes. Um, Uberlube, I'm gonna, I'm, I, like I did last night, I'm just gonna read their copy because their yeah. copy is it's pretty straightforward and 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 uh, to the point. Uberlube be believes in focus and simplicity not just in our products, but in how they do business. Rather than modeling their approach on the restaurant that serves 50 mediocre food options, Uberlube is focused on doing one thing right every time, producing the best 
personal lubricant on the market. Mm. Visit uberlube.com for more. And uh, each of our contestants, our winners, will receive a uh, uberlube prize um, in addition to uh, $50 to the winners. Yes. Um, and uh, our winner of our raffle, which... Uh, we will talk about a little bit more real quick. Our, the winner of our raffle will also win uh, a week's worth supply of Uber Lube. Yeah, it's enough for um, a slip and slide. Yeah, you could set it up for the slip and slide. Just be sure to clean the slip and slide first. <laughs> um, and yeah, and additionally, we are sponsored by Sugar. Mm -hmm. Sugar is a lesbian-owned, multi-gender-operated, for-profit, mission-driven sex toy shop. Um, they're based out of Baltimore, Maryland, but you can shop their store online all over the world at SugarTheShop, SugarTheShop.com, mm -hmm. um, by providing education and toys in a shame-free, sex-positive, fun environment. They help people of all genders and orientations experience their own unique sexuality with shameless joy and passion. Um, last, last but not least, I, I'm going to talk about the raffle real quick. You yeah, may have noticed you that we're we talking about this raffle. I know you had it in your pre-show. That was great. Um, if you donate now, like we are in, in, these are the last seconds you have to donate to get your names on the wheel. Uh, each name you submit gets you an entry in our raffle for the Smudif prize package, which is a $230 value. Yeah. Um, the prize contains $126 worth of Uber Lube, a $50 gift certificate to Flying V's merch store, a $50 gift certificate to SugarTheShop.com, and a bunch of these amazing like holographic stickers we made as well. So um, for $2, there is a chance that you will win $230, which is the best, uh, you know, that's like GameStonks level of, of buy-in <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, and we will announce the prize package winner tomorrow night. So if you do donate and you want to check it out and see if you win, tune in tomorrow night to Blood and Butts. Yes. Uh, additionally, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You'll see all the all the social stuff should be around here somewhere on the on the screen. Hang out with us on our Discord. Flying V has a community Discord with uh, amazing channels, lots of cool people. We talk about all sorts of nerdy things. Um, all of the information is going to be on the side. Uh, I'll be hopping back in afterwards to announce the winners of each round, but I'll be in the chat as well. And now I'm going to turn it back over to you, Noah. Yes, and I just want to say one more time before oh. we let you go, uh, because getting into the raffle also means getting names on the wheel. And we're about to spin the wheel to see what our live round will have to write about. They'll have to be writing about something that the wheel lands on. This yes. is pretty much your last chance to get in for tonight. But you can also put in names for tomorrow night, if you'd like, which is our oh, yeah. horror night. So if you have mm -hmm. something horror-related you'd like, we can put that on the wheel for tomorrow. But please send us those names now. We just had some late editions of Candyland and Untitled Goose Game. So we're going to have to close that wheel soon. So get them in now while you mm -hmm. still can. And yeah, a special shout out. Uh, I see Angst Potato in the chat. A special shout out to Ray Pendergrass and Lil Yaz for winning last night's competition yes. with uh, their renditions of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Garfield. Garfield. Garfield was <laughs> hard to beat. We couldn't be beaten. Ooh, Mondays. <laughs> yes, and it was on a Monday. It was perfect. It was a lot of Monday jokes. Yes, it um, was All perfect. right. Uh, I'm going to hop off and let you do your thing, Noah. Have a great right. show. Will do. Thank you so much, Navi. We'll talk to you Bye. later. Right now, I have five amazing fan fictions that were pre-written about whatever the, the uh, contestant wanted to write about, as long as it fit the category of gamings and video games. So, introducing first, he's also a member of High Note Humor, he is also the person who bought me this shirt. So please give it up for Ramon Bender. Hey everyone, my name is Ramon Bender. Tonight the story I've written for you is entitled Super Smash Hose, aka Nintendo Don't Stop, Don't Stop Right There. Oh my god, yes, yeah, oh, oh, no, no, it's okay, it's fine, it's fine. In which I attempt to sexualize, defile, and desecrate all 82 characters of Smash while including as many kinks and as much weird shit as I can think of because this is a shame-free zone unless that's what you're into. I'm not going to bother with a framing device and I've got to go fast because there are 82 characters. Also, try to guess which of the kinks I've included is TV's Noah's favorite and spam it in chat. That would crack me up. 
Mario and Zelda were really getting into it. He pulled out his stubby little mushroom, but it grew twice as big as Zelda unleashed wisdom and courage, which is what she had named her tits. As Mario began to go down her pipe, there was a cloud of smoke and she transformed into Sheik. Oh, you want to play a dress-up? Let's-a go, Mario said and put on his doctor's coat, becoming Dr. Mario. Roleplay. Nearby, Donkey Kong had grabbed Jigglypuff by her Superman curl and was preparing to cram his massive Donkey Dong down her throat. Jigglypuff. It said as several feet of monkey meat entered mouth, throat, esophagus, stomach, and upper intestine. Diddy Kong and his tiny little Diddy Dong wouldn't be much help, but he jumped on Donkey's back and used the Great Ape's tie to choke him, causing DK to expel a nigh-endless torrent of banana-flavored monkey milk into Jigglypuff, whose fortunately elastic body was able to hold it all in as she grew bigger and bigger. Dixie Kong was there too, but only as a trophy because that's how Nintendo feels about women. Uh, erotic asphyxiation and expansion. Nearby, nobody wanted to fuck Luigi. Star Fox and Star Wolf had finally broken through their extreme sexual tension and locked themselves in an R-wing, while they rolled over and over again way too fast at each other, playing the range game until one was caught out of position, and then they rolled way too fast together inside each other. Peppy Hare told them to do a barrel roll, even though he was just a trophy, because that's how Nintendo feels about rabbits. Hate fucking. Cloud and Sephiroth edgily watched those two bitter rivals overcome their self-doubt together and edgily followed suit. Turns out both of them had sad little edgy peckers that they overcompensated for with gigantic edgy swords. Also, it was super edgy. Like, so edgy. Like 25 years of Rule 34 finally coming home to roost. I'm counting this one as edging because that's what that means, right? Ness, who doesn't participate in this story because he is canonically 13 years old, was doing what all 13-year-old boys do and blasting himself over the edge again and again because it was the most interesting part of his kit. Nobody wanted to fuck Luigi. Roy, Marth, Ike, and Byleth were all standing nearby each other trying to get their relationship statuses high enough for a foursome, but none of them realized that they'd made a wrong decision six chapters ago and would have to try again on a different playthrough. Mega Man, being a super-fighting robot, was built without a dick, but he chucked a couple lemons at King Dedede and managed to absorb his royal penguin pecker, which turned Mega Man purple for some reason and gave him limited charges of ice-cold cock, which he used to fuck Pac-Man to death. Uh, I'm counting this one as pegging because it wasn't Mega Man's real wiener. The pink ice climber, I'm not going to assume their gender because a gender assigned colors is a stupid idea, had hiked their parka up and was getting absolutely railed by Trucker Hat Terry. Uh, the blue ice climber was stuck against a wall on the other side of the map. Cocking. Pikachu was eating Pichu whole and alive because hamsters eat their own young sometimes and because I decided to include four. The Pokemon trainer was really regretting not having a Gardevoir while Squirtle lubed Charizard up. Also, I don't remember what Bulbasaur's second evolution was, but who cares? Fuck Bulbasaur, he's trash. Don't at me. At TV's Noah. Yeah, said Link seductively. Ha, said Young Link. Up, 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 said Toon Link in agreement. And the three of them pulled out their master swords and started a Triforce of 69ing. Uh, Self-cest and hentai. Falco was getting his cloaca absolutely by Captain Falcon. I don't even know what else to say. We all knew that one was coming, right? Falcon bestiality! At this point, I gave Nintendo my credit card information, and Sora showed up. He was probably 18-plus because of time skips that happened outside the main games that you would know about if you were a real fan, and he was looking for a friend with a lot of um, heart power or whatever. It was actually really unclear and kind of didn't make a lot of sense. Of course, he found Joker, leader of the Phantom Heart Thieves, and together, the two of them went on many fantastical adventures together and became great friends and totally never hooked up or anything. They kept it straight platonic. So, asexuals. The three me fighters that all looked suspiciously like me were propositioning Luigi, but he turned them down because Luigi has standards. Pyro was relentlessly gagging down Wario's gnarled crooked wang, which is exactly the same shape as his mustache, until she transformed into Mithra, whipped out her own massive xenoblade, gave Wario a gold coin, and pounded his hairy pimpled ass like it was a minigame. Wario loved every second of it because he was pretty sure Mario wasn't into that sort of thing. So, futinari and prostitution. Steve, which is apparently the name of the Minecraft guy, was desperately trying to give it to Meta Knight, but it just wasn't working. It was like trying to shove a square peg into a round hole. Puns. The Piranha Plant and the hero from Dragon Quest, which is basically Japan's national pastime, were locked in a strange, armless embrace. When the hero whipped out an impressive, pixelated cock, you could sort of see if you squinted. The Piranha Plant took it all the way down, then down into its pipe, then back up, then down, then up, 
then down again. Once the hero had blown his heroic load, the piranha plant spit it directly at Luigi, who nobody wanted to fuck. So dendrophilia and that weird Japanese censorship laws. Princess Peach was just lying around naked, not doing much of anything, really. Softcore. Greninja was using its huge tongue to Shibari the Wii Fit trainer who was totally into that sort of thing. You know it, we all know it. Don't even act like you haven't thought about it. In fact, I'm declaring it canon right here and now. Don't at me, Nintendo. Actually, do, because I've got ideas. Bondage. Bayonetta, who is actually canonically into bondage, was stepping all over Kazuya with her high heels and calling him naughty. But you couldn't see anything because it was all infuriatingly covered by her hair, even after I 100% of the game, which is bullshit because 16-year-old me was trying to see some witch titties. 34-year-old me is still trying to see some witch titties. Uh, femdom and crushing. Sweet. Innocent Isabel was on her knees, looking up into the glowering faces of King K. Rule, Ripley, and Robin. Is there something I can help you with, Mayor? She said sweetly before one by one they drenched her head to toe in hot, thick loads. Some might, uh, some of it might have been cornstarch, though, you know, just, just for the thickening effect. But you don't know, so it shouldn't really matter if it's fake. All of these villagers are very rude, she gurgled from under a protein face mask as thick as a stack of flapjacks. Bukaki. Also, Mr. Game & Watch was watching, so voyeurism. The Inkling was making use of Rob's seldom-seen magic wand feature, grinding the sleek, futuristic robot into her little squid until she inked all over him and he shorted out, squirting. One by one, Olimar shoved every Pikmin he had straight up Sonic the Hedgehog's tight little golden ring until, filled to the brim with ambulatory roots, the hedgehog curled into a ball and began spinning. Gotta go fast, he whispered to himself through tears and gritted teeth. Faster and faster he spun until he launched himself into Samus Aran, causing enough damage to shatter her suit and she became Zero Suit Samus. Sonic lost all his rings. Uh, this is a new kink I just invented, I call it speedballing. Incineroar and Lucario were yiffing the absolute shit out of each other. Furries. Banjo-Kazooie and the Duck Hunt Dog were 69ing, but since they each had a bird on their head doing the same thing, it was more like 138ing. Math. It's at this point I realized I might be running out of time because there's still like 20 characters left. Min Min and Yoshi had Snake tied up face down, just whipping the crap out of him. Min Min with her long arms and Yoshi with his tongue. Every time Yoshi whipped him, he made a blam blam sound. And then Yoshi swallowed him and popped out an egg. Snake had had enough, and from inside the egg he was shouting his safe word. Snake? Snake! Snake! So whipping and also that egg thing's gotta be a kink. Lucas was- oh my god, Lucas is another child. Why are there so many children in this game? Uh, Lucas stayed out of it. Abstinence. Nobody wanted to fuck Luigi. Involuntary abstinence. Ganondorf's huge green feet were laid out bare. He was blindfolded and waiting with bated breath. Pitt brushed Ganon's foot with the feathers from his wing gently at first, but then more and more rapidly, until Ganon couldn't contain himself and he burst out laughing like the big, uninteresting villain he was. On his other foot, Palutina was showing none of Pitt's gentle escalation and was greedily slurping up and down the one-note bad guy's calloused foot, even getting in between the toes, just like really getting in there. So there's your foot fetish and your tickling. That one's for you, Tarantino. Bowser and Bowser Jr. were... Just, like, really getting all up in there. And then they... Like an ice cream cone. So, uh, incest and pedophilia. That one's for you, Kevin Spacey. Rosalina caught the extremely creepy villager using Luma like a fleshlight, speedily smashing his slippery stick into the star's soft, sweet sinkhole, so she spanked and swatted his swollen ass till sticky semen spurged from his schlong, silently sailing through the sky. Alliteration and spanking. I don't know who Corin is, so let's just say they were giving themselves the old David Carradine. Simon Belmont and Ryu, who were staring each other down with muscles. They began to flex, testing each other. First, their oiled muscles burst through their tank tops, the soft fabric tearing to shreds like my will to write any more one-note pornographic scenarios. They flexed harder, and their shorts ripped apart, revealing their throbbing, muscly penises. In silent agreement, they both accepted the challenge. The manliest, muscliest test of will there was. They locked eyes and began 
began to jack each other off. It was a beautiful moment of true masculine brotherhood. Tears formed in their eyes. It was so beautiful. Let's just take a moment to admire these two Adonises. Adonises? Adonises locked in a true contest of manliness. Sadly, as in all contests, someone must lose, and Ryu was the first to come. Sure you can! Unleashing a torrent of jism so powerful it uppercut Simon into the stratosphere. Shulk and Mew too were feeling left out. They had waited too long to choose, and now it was just the two of them left. But it was better than being alone, so they humped away until something better came along. Settling. And there you have it. That's all 82 characters of Smash Bros. getting looted. I don't, I don't think I missed any. Oh, Kirby. Kirby crash-landed his star and beheld the abomination before him, and he looked and saw that it was bad. It was time to reset everything. He opened his mouth and sucked. He sucked harder than he had ever sucked before. Harder than you can imagine. No, even harder than that. Even harder than your mom. And when he had sucked up everyone, he unleashed his fury in the form of a giant cum star, destroying himself and everyone else in the process. And it was over. This match had no victor. But wait, in the corner, all alone, a survivor? No, a winner. Uh, that's my time, guys. Thank you so much. Sorry if I ran a little long. Enjoy the rest of the show. Ramon Bender. Woo! That was a lot. For those... <laughs> Miss Piranha Plant. <laughs> I like the idea of the chat sitting there with a checklist. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Miss Piranha Plant. Yeah, and no, no master hand. What do you know? <laughs> but that was Ramon Bender. Tease in the chat. Whoo! For those of you wondering, my kink is Luigi not getting laid. <laughs> I'm going to bring up our next contestant. Let me pull this up here. Our next contestant is a multidisciplined artist stretching his sexy, sexy writing muscles. <laughs> that was an all caps for Flying V. Please give it up for John, John, Johnson. It was the year of our Lord 2021 when I decided to leave my sinful life on land and set out to find life anew on a deserted island adventure. A fortnight prior, I'd been approached by a rather shady fellow and his pair of unblinking twin sons. He spoke of a life of freedom, free of the temptations and burden of the city. He cajoled me with words of a simple life, building from scratch, catching bugs and fishing, bonfires and celebrations. A world with friends where I could exist free of my desires. Like the Puritans who ruthlessly colonized America, I could seek out this new land to impose strict carnal restrictions upon myself and live a life of relative solitude amidst the picturesque views of an island paradise. You'll be welcome at Peen Isle, this charming little man had said, and I believed him with all my heart. And so with nary a word and leaving everything behind save some of the clothes on my back in a suitcase, I set out in the dead of night to meet my shady benefactor at the docks where I and a few others boarded a rustic seaplane and departed for Peen Isle. Our benefactor, one Tom Nook, showed us the resident services tent before revealing that he was charging us for our escape. I knew there had to be a bit of a catch, but it was too late. My life was far behind me and I desperately sought the respite of this island paradise. I had escaped economy only to find economy at the hands of this family of capitalist crooks. My compatriots, Goose, Canberra, and I set up our tents, which after some time on the island and many loans from the scheming and thieving family became homes. One by one, we were joined by new islanders and shopkeepers who brought vibrancy and company to our little paradise. Among them, Tammy. Tammy, whom I thought at first I liked, but her constant chirping of the word chimpy grew grating and harsh in my ears. Out of petty spite, I, bit I built fences around her home, trapping her away from myself, and on the occasion she'd escape, I'd chase her with my trusty net to send her scurrying. After perhaps only a week, she moved away, stating no hard feelings, but I knew that the resentment had grown between us. I hoped I never saw her again. And for a bit, her plot of land remained empty, which suited me fine. I was living my life free of desire and sin in this idyllic place, and we'd spend nights by bonfire or out in the forest watching for shooting stars. On occasion, when the wanderlust bit me, I would take the seaplane to another island where I could explore, search for resources and other such goods to bring back with us. On occasion, I would encounter someone vacationing on one of the numerous islands. We'd engage in some light banter, and then I'd go about my way. But on one such fated encounter, I was making my way through a copse of trees, a small pond teeming with fish to the south of me. I had seen the signs of a campfire earlier, indicating that perhaps this island had a visitor as well. And as I emerged from the tree line, his visage struck me like a thunderbolt. 
For the most part, I was as tall as any of my island neighbors, but he stood at least half a head taller than I, so for the first time in months, I had to raise my head to meet his eyes. Oh, his eyes, gentle yet piercing, somehow both soft and stern, the keen eyes of a predator, but with a kindness that gazed deeply to the darkest crevices of my soul. I stood slack-jawed as my eyes traveled from his powerful thighs to his trim waistline, his broad shoulders and strong chest, up to a thick neck to his killer's beak and to those eyes once again. Wasn't expecting to run into, well, much of anyone out here, wherever here is exactly. Anyway, I'm Apollo, and you're from Pena Isle. Wasn't expecting to meet and greet on this tour, but then again, I wasn't sure what I was expecting to find out here. When he spoke, his voice rolled through me like a distant thunder, shaking the very atoms of me loose. Something about him excited me while simultaneously filling me with dread. I had come to Peen Isle to escape the lusty temptations of city life, but here on an island in the middle of nowhere, I was alone with one of the most gorgeous creatures I had ever beheld. I looked over his yellow jacket, tightly clinging to his form, and dark, sensual thoughts flooded my head. I had to tear myself away from this magnificent specimen, but I remembered that the wretched Tammy had left her plot of land vacant. It's good to step away and look at things from a distance sometimes. Apollo had turned his head to look out over the sparkling ocean, shimmering beautifully in the moonlight. Like, I'm looking back and wondering, maybe it's time for me to make some kind of change, shake stuff up. And before I knew what I was doing, as if the strings of fate itself had pulled me towards this, I asked, Want to come live on my island? He turned suddenly to me, piercing me with those beautiful eyes of his. His face lit up in surprise, shock, and perhaps joy. Are you really asking me to move to Penile? That's quite an invite. I almost don't know what to say, which ain't usually a problem for me, and you like it there, right? Everyone as neighborly as you? My gaze travel up and down his body again. You'll fit right in, I said, trying to hide the lust in my voice that threatened to drool out of me. Apollo moved in the very next day. I knew not the cause of his expedience, but I hoped in my heart of hearts he desired to be near me in the same way I desired him. Oceans of neither water nor time could keep us apart, it seemed. In the tradition of gift-giving, I had purchased a bit of clothing from the Able Sisters that I would then later give to him. Hey, kiddo. I approached him and handed him a wrap towel. My heart nearly burst when I saw his noble visage light up, and he was so eager to try it that he threw off his customary leather jacket. For a brief moment, I got to view Apollo in all of his glory, his godly name merely harbinger to his Adonis-like body. Covered in sleek feathers though he was, I could make out the definition of his smooth musculature, sleek and elegant in a way that set my whole body ablaze. He stood there before me, clad in nothing but a towel. He thanked me for my gift and strutted about in it for the remainder of the day. The next day, I worked up the courage to eventually knock on the door of his charming little house. He invited me in, and I was met with a simple but comfortable layout, a pool table and a small kitchen set up and ready to go. But as I looked over at his bed, I noticed that unlike everyone else's homes on the island, there was room for two. Apollo had a big bed with two pillows on it. I usually go for comfort. His deep voice rumbled softly at me as he noticed me admiring his bed. That's why I love this rattan bed. I nodded, gulping quietly as he casually strode over to where I was standing. May I touch you? he said softly. Immediately, my heart was a flutter of smaller wings caught in the piercing gaze of this hunter, and yet the gentle way in which he approached and the cautious hesitance that he, he asked to touch me, the flutter turned to melting, and I felt my whole body flush. I nodded wordlessly as he wrapped one of his wings around my shoulders and rested his head against mine, and for a moment all was warmth and tenderness. Slowly, my arm snaked around his trim waist, and we both let out a contented sigh together. I'm glad you came to visit, kiddo. My place isn't much, pa. I shifted slightly in his embrace so that I could meet his eyes. A warm smile spread on his beak, and I lifted myself on my tiptoes to give him a smooch on the side of that hard, aquiline beak. A flush crossed the white feathers of his face, something I thought impossible for feathers to do. Placing both wings on my shoulders, he turned me to face him and ever so slightly shifted his weight forward. I fell onto the bed with a gasp, looking up at my neighbor, the statuesque eagle Apollo. He threw off his leather jacket, revealing that he was wearing the wrap towel I had gifted him and nothing else. He stood there nearly naked within my grasp in his room where we rested in blissful privacy. I gulped visibly, my eyes tracing up along his body to his face, which itself was a mixture of sweet affection and desire. He leaned forward and crawled into the bed, hovering over me. I reached into my pockets, shuffling through flowers, pumpkins, fishing rods, nets, fish, pieces of fallen stars, and finally selected my star wand. 
Activating it, there was a swirl of magic in my clothes, all but vanished off of me, leaving me in my underwear underneath the object of my most sinful affections. Pah, he uttered, a slow, lusty smile crawling across his handsome avian features. Woo, I replied, reaching my hands up to wrap gently around his waist, tugging insistently at the towel. As it fell away, he reached down with his beak, clipping the shoulder straps of my tank top. My clothes fell away, revealing my own modesty as we both admired one another. I caressed his cheek and strong beak with one hand before pulling him down and his body alighted atop mine. I kissed his beak a few more times, listening to the soft grunts and low rumbling moans. Kissing down to his neck, I felt his whole body shiver in anticipation and sensation as his wings began to caress and explore my body in turn. Even as I beheld his naked form in his bed, still the image of him against the moonlit sky as I emerged from the tree line lingered in my mind, a vision of perfect majesty. Pah, he muttered softly, squirming slightly under my touch. I could feel the muscles of his back and flank tensing and relaxing. Woo, I replied, one of the few phrases I could even think to utter at this time, one usually reserved for celebrations. I embraced my lovely, powerful raptor to me as we explored one another's nude bodies carefully, methodically, and lovingly. Over the course of the night, we found the spots that tickled, excited, and pleased the other. Our eyes locked together for much of it, and we found ourselves giggling, laughing when we found new horizons. Eventually, our animals crossed, and we found homes in one another, building together an island founded on mutual pleasure, respect, and dare I say it, love. When we had finished, we lay next to one another, panting heavily, our whole bodies spent and exhausted as we gazed at one another. I watched his exquisite, sculpted breast meat rise and fall and sink with my own. Puh, he inquired, scanning my gaze and meeting with his beautiful, concerned eyes. Woo, I replied again, shifting in the comfortable rattan bed until I was curled up against Apollo's larger frame. He wrapped his arms around me. I could have sworn there was not a greater blanket in that world. As the night faded into day, I kissed him on the beak once again. And in distance, a star fell. The bonfire's dying embers painted their warm glow against the charming little homes on Peen Isle. And another dawn began to break over the little island paradise with my fellow villagers, myself, and my new lovebird. John, John, Johnson, everybody. A little ASMR for you. It is now safe to turn down your computer. Tease in the chat. Tease in the chat for John, John, Johnson. Didn't want to startle everybody. Everybody turned up their computer real loud and then was terrified that I was going to come back screaming. I wouldn't do that for you guys. <laughs> that would be terrible. Uh, but John, John Johnson, yes, tease in the chat, cheese in the chat, as I bring up our next contestant. Uh, our next contestant, based off of the, the bio I have here, I have to do the Kenny Omega intro for. So I, I'm going to do the Kenny Omega intro probably every, uh, every night. But uh, this is our lucky winner. <clears throat> Your next contestant is a playwright, occasional dramaturg, and arts administrator. Their weird little, little queer plays include patronage, a sex thing, or a bunch of liberals get uptight about social political implications of their desires, and untitled Calamity Jane play, to name a few. You can follow her right now on Twitter and Instagram at Katie Has Opinions. Currently based out of Brooklyn, but originally from North Carolina, please. Give lots of teas in the chat for Katie Frazier. Go. Oh, hello. I'm Katie Frazier, and this tale is called Marnie's Upgrade. Winter, day 15, year one. Marnie was hoping for a quiet morning. Maybe she could spend some time with the cows, but the moment she opened shop, someone was at the door. I didn't think you were such an early bird, Marnie said. Normally the farmer is the only one buying livestock at the crack of dawn. Clint lingered in the doorway. He was breathing heavily and clutching a strangely shaped bundle he had wrapped in his heavy blacksmith's apron. Marnie smiled. She was used to seeing Clint alone at the Stardrop Saloon, barely glancing at anyone. She'd always thought he'd be a bit of fun if he ever stepped out of a shell. Don't just stand there, Clint. Come in. I didn't think you made deliveries. Marnie looked down at the awkward bundle in Clint's arms. 
I just, uh, it's been ready for a few days and you hadn't come to pick it up, he said. I have been busy. Is that the only reason you came? Marnie asked. Did having it laying around make you nervous? Clint didn't answer. He just blushed as he placed the bundle on Marnie's counter with a thud. He unwrapped it from his apron. There, glinting in the firelight, was a newly upgraded iridium strap-on. Or rather, an iridium tuck, keenly sculpted by Clint's hammer with iridium rings connecting it to a sturdy harness. The harness looked like leather, but it shimmered oddly in the light. That is quite an upgrade. You've certainly outdone yourself, Clint. Well, uh, it's been a long time since I had a challenge like this, he said. But with quality ore, I, I can make just about anything happen. It took me ages to get that farmer to bring me five iridium bars. I must have put it on the community board seven or eight times. Clint sighed. That farmer does not go mining enough. Marnie gave Clint's arm a squeeze. You're so strong. Could you help me carry it into the bedroom? I, I thought only your close friends were allowed to enter your bedroom. Just this once, Marnie said. I'll make an exception. Don't worry. We'll be close friends by the time you leave. Marnie turned and disappeared through her bedroom door and didn't look back. Clint had a lump in his throat, like he'd just swallowed a strange bun. He mustered up his courage, picked up the iridium cock, and followed her. In her bedroom, something caught his eye. That certainly didn't seem like Marnie's. Uh, whose purple shorts are those? Oh! Marnie looked down at the purple and polka-dotted boxer shorts laying on her bedroom floor. Those? Who can remember? Marnie slipped past Clint and shut the bedroom door. They can be yours if you want. Clint gulped and dropped the cock on Marnie's dresser with a thud. I'm happy to help and all, but, but I don't understand, Marnie. If this new equipment is too heavy for you to carry, then how will you uh, use it? Did you get it for someone else? Let's just say it's for someone else, but I'll still be the one using it. Don't worry, I've got plenty of core strength. Marnie was very close to him now. Clint felt her breath tickle his beard. As long as the straps hold out, I'll be fine, she said. What is that cloth, leather? Clint shook his head and muttered, I, uh, I used Emily's sewing machine with prismatic shard on the spool. Oh, she only lets her close friends use that sewing machine. Tell me, Clint, Marnie slinked behind Clint's back. She whispered in his ear, are you and Emily close friends? Clint felt his hands shake and his cock twitch. She barely knows I exist. Uh, I mean, she lets the farmer use her sewing machine all the time. Marnie scoffed. <laughs> I don't think you need to worry about the farmer. In my experience, they know how to share. They're very careful with their cows and chickens, but not so careful with hearts. With a gentle push from Marnie, Clint landed on the bed behind him. They certainly aren't as careful as you, blacksmith. How am I going to thank you for this expert craftsmanship? Uh, experts? Clint sputtered. Oh no, I've never done something like this before. It's hard working on a tool I'm so unfamiliar with. Oh, but Clint, Marnie said. I imagine you're very familiar with at least one cock. Uh, that, that isn't what I meant, Clint squeaked. It's so different. What's different about it, Clint? Marty asked. Is it big? Does it make you feel small? Powerless? Clint shrank back on the bed. Normally, he felt like he took up, took up too much space. But as Marnie hovered over him with her wide hips and heaving breasts, he did feel small. How about I show you what it's like, Marnie offered. Show me, but I, I, Clint stared at his feet, nervous. Oh, what's wrong, Marnie asked, as she slid her dress off her shoulders. Are you saving yourself for Emily? Maybe you ought to learn how to share, like the farmer. Stop looking down, she said. Look up at me and tell me what you want. Clint took a deep breath and slowly raised his eyes. Show me. Please. Take your clothes off, she ordered. Turn around. I want you on all fours, blacksmith. Clint did as he was told, and he could hear behind him Marnie opening a drawer 
He smelled something rich and earthy, just as he felt a sudden jolt of cold. That farmer makes the best lube. Truffle oil, she said, but it's my pigs that find the truffles. Marnie hoisted the prismatic shard harness onto her ample hips. From copper to iron to gold and now iridium, the multiple upgrades have resulted in a hefty, girthy iridium cock. But Marnie wondered, could a shy softy like Clint take her massive cock? She looked forward to testing the craftsman with his own handiwork. Now I need you to relax, Clint. Just imagine you're at the mermaid show. Marnie whispered in his ear as he felt the cold iridium cock slide inside. With each thrust, Clint felt the roaring flames of the furnace inside him growing louder and louder. He was sure he'd produce a bar of refined ore at any moment when suddenly Marnie stopped. Did you hear that? She said. All Clint could hear was the blood rushing in his ears. Someone just came in. It must be the goddamn farmer. They always run out of hay halfway through the winter. Clint's breath was ragged. Why don't they just get another silo? It's the copper bars. They just don't spend enough time in the mines. Marnie placed her hands firmly on Clint's hips. You have to stay right here. I'll be back. Marnie carefully unbuckled the harness and slid out of it. She left Clint bent over the bed, holding the iridium cock in his ass. But Marnie, Clint whispered, what if the farmer comes in the bedroom? Don't worry. They aren't close friends with me. Yet. Marnie slipped back into her dress and stepped out of the bedroom. Animal supplies for sale was the last thing he heard from her as she closed the door behind her. Clint's head was spinning. His heart was beating so fast he felt like he'd had too many Joja Colas. He was desperate for Marnie to come back. He'd always thought something was going on with her and the mare. He'd even seen them in the bushes once on his way home from the saloon after a late night. But he couldn't imagine. Had Mayor Lewis been bent over like this, exposed, naked, at Marnie's mercy? He began to see local politics in a whole new light. Just when he thought he couldn't take it anymore, when he thought he'd come just from holding the cock in while he waited, Marnie came back. The farmer is off looking at Shane's blue chickens. They've got a cut scene, so they'll be alone back there for a good long time, she said as she slid back into the harness. You've got nothing to worry about. Marnie flipped Clint onto his back. She yanked her skirts up and hoisted Clint's legs up around her hips. Clint felt exposed, like a geode on an anvil waiting to be crushed. Clint put a hand over his mouth, stifling his moans so as not to disturb the farmer, Shane, or the blue chickens. Then Clint came like an iridium sprinkler. He must have been really pent up, Marnie thought as she removed the iridium cock and herself from Clint. As he struggled to catch his breath, Marnie used the purple shorts to clean up Clint's mess. These are definitely yours now, she said, and tossed the shorts to him. Marnie, uh, Marnie, I had no idea, Clint said in awe. Marnie smiled. She placed the iridium cock back onto her dresser and straightened her skirt. Well, would you look at the time? What? Marnie knew how to get rid of someone when she was done with them. Shouldn't you be opening your shop? I heard that the mayor was coming by today to collect the taxes. My taxes, Clint gasped. He started scrambling, frantically putting on his clothes. I'll put in a good word for you with Lewis, Marnie said, as Clint raced out the door. Marnie wondered if the mayor would notice his own shorts, hanging out of Clint's apron pocket. Now that she was alone, Marnie thought about closing up shop early. She wasn't likely to do any more business today with the farmer so busy with Shane. Besides, she could use the rest. She had a big day tomorrow. Now that she'd gotten to test out her new toy, she couldn't wait to show it off to the girls in aerobics club. And Harvey, too. Read the room, Clint. Tease in the chat for Katie Frazier. Not taking us all the way to Stardew Valley. Fantastic work. Tease in the chat. Yes, tease in the chat. Uh, but none for Clint. Only for Katie. Katie's video did not want to close on my computer. It was burning its way into my screen. <laughs> Your next contestant is an actor and voice actor from Atlanta. Uh, he is also the host of the iHeartRadio podcast, Ridiculous Romance, 
where he and his wife Diana tell stories of history's freakiest couples, triads, and fuck buddies. You can follow him right now on Twitch and on Twitter at oh great it's Eli. Please tease in the chat for Eli Banks. Hi everyone, my name is Eli Banks. The title of this piece is Ass, Ass, and Creed. Desmond had no idea what he was chosen for, only that the form he signed promised state-of-the-art technology for an historical sexual experience. He sat on what looked like a high-tech dentist chair in a cold steel room with a single door. With a beep and a hydraulic hiss, the door opened, and Desmond saw a tall, cool person enter in a white lab coat. Their pointed, mousy face was framed by an angular, asymmetrical hairstyle undercut on the left side. Royal blue eyes peered at Desmond through square frames. Here we go, he thought. Historical sex, not for the weak-minded. And he said in his coolest tone, Why, hello there. I hear this is... No, they interrupted, clinical and uncaring. I'm Dr. Rex Carter. I'll be your handler for the process. As you read, we will use the genetic data locked in your DNA to send your mind back through time to relive a sexual experience of your ancestors. You'll see what they see, hear what they heard, and feel what they felt. So, like VR porn, but at the Renaissance Fair? Sure, they said. Desmond, you're the descendant of the great Ezio Auditore, an assassin from Renaissance Italy. Ezio learned of a valuable artifact while he was having sex with an agent of the evil Templars. Her name is Carmina del Tetona. So we need you to relive that experience and tell us everything that Ezio learned. If we fail in this mission, they could take over the world. You fuck one Templar, we fuck them all. You'll do fine if you remember the Assassin's Creed. Nothing is true. Everything is permitted. Everything's permitted, he asked. Well, no. Any major deviations to Ezio's actions and you'll desynchronize and ruin the experiment. So, you know what, just ignore the creed part. They handed him something that looked like an electronic circus balloon with cables running off the end of it. Here's your ECS. Desmond took it in his hand, confused. ECS, he asked. Electronic cock sleeve. Look, I'm going to go out in the other room. When it's in position, just press the green button on the side and I'll begin the simulation. Desmond fumbled to get his dick into the ECS as he heard Dr. Rex exit and the hydraulic hiss of another mechanical door. He managed to slip himself inside the device, but it was roomy? He felt inadequate as he imagined whoever was using this before him. Oh, wait, whoa, did someone else use this? He pressed the green button. There was a quick suction noise and the sleeve vacuumed itself tight around him. A brief, oh, escaped him. He heard Dr. Rex's voice from somewhere, but he couldn't tell where. Your designated safe word will end the simulation immediately. Please confirm your safe word. Desmond's eyes rolled back as he felt an energetic charge pulse through the ECS and start spreading through his body. The room around him began to digitally dissolve. He cocked a half smile and said through heavy breaths, My safe word is safe word. The last thing he heard was Dr. Rex whispering, Jesus fucking Christ, and the world went black. Suddenly, he was in Rome in 1490. The Colosseum towered in the distance. He looked down and realized that he was not himself. He was built like a stone wall, tall and rock solid. His calves were as big as calzones. His hips were sturdy and wide, and his ass had muscles he previously did not know existed. His torso was just a series of ridges and mounds coated in coarse, dark Mediterranean hair. He felt his jawline so sharp you could slice a pizza with it. It took him a moment to fully understand what was going on, but once he did, he knew immediately what he had to do. Let's see what I'm working with here, he said to himself, stepping into a nearby alley. He went to reach below his waistband. What is this, like a, a tunic? He pulled a flap to the side and found another behind that. Where's the opening? He fumbled in what seemed like around 20 layers before finally finding the base of his cock. He followed it down and down and down. What the hell, he shouted, dropping all the fabric back down around him. This guy's my ancestor? What the hell happened? Who fucked who in history that I lost access to this third fucking leg? Who fucked whom, he heard Dr. Rex's voice from nowhere and almost fell over. Get up, they told him. You've got an appointment. Get going or you'll desynchronize. Desmond picked himself up and ran quickly to the Colosseum, amazed by his own stamina. Climbing the wall was tough, but there was some very important sex waiting at the top, and he was going to have it for the fate of the world. There stood Carmina del Tetona. She was six inches shorter than Ezio. Her long, straight hair matched the sunset in its many hues of red and orange. 
Her strength was immediately obvious. Her neck, shoulders, and arms were just bundles of corded rope wrapped tightly around a frame that might as well have been solid steel. She wore sturdy but flexible armor that covered her from neck to waist following her natural curves. Her pants, like his, were agile yet protective. Desmond wondered how many layers he'd have to go through to get into them. Carmina threw him a cocky smile. I was beginning to think you would never show, Ezio, she said in a rich, beautiful Italian accent. She had a dagger drawn. Hamina, Hamina, he actually said. You are the strangest assassin I have ever fought. That's why I could never bring myself to follow the orders to kill you. She sheathed the dagger and tossed it to the floor. Now show me yours, she said, and in one swift move she had her hand under his robes and around his cock. How the fuck did she do that, he wondered. He cleared his throat. Uh, yeah, you found it. The Templars want me to kill you, to stab you straight through the heart, she whispered as she gently tugged on him. He was growing twick. He was growing quickly, and he worried he'd collapse if this absolute drier tube of a dick took his entire blood supply to fill. But what if it is I who is stabbed, she asked, and she grabbed the back of his head and pulled him down to kiss her. He felt her tongue burst into his mouth and wrestle with his own. Deftly, she pulled clasps at the back of his own, at, the, at his back and her own, and both their armor plates fell to the ground. Yeah, that's good, said Dr. Rex in Desmond's head. Desmond turned his head away and whispered, uh, Seriously? Are you going to like be here for all this? Look, you have to do exactly what Ezio did or you'll desynchronize, they said. You don't want to do that, do you? No, 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 Desmond said quickly. No, Carmina asked. Uh, I mean, yes, yes, sorry, yes. Let's all just keep doing what we're doing. I'm okay with that. Dr. Rex continued to guide him, and Desmond followed their orders, sliding his hand up beneath her tunic. Her breasts were large and heavy, and Desmond respected that she climbed the same wall he had while carrying these with her. Take it easy now, Dr. Rex explained. We're saving the world here. Try some foreplay, for God's sake. Yeah, there you go. Just cradle them there, gentle. Carmina kept kissing Ezio as Desmond followed Dr. Rex's orders. Does this count as a foursome, he wondered. Carmina started to take off Ezio's robes. Okay, Dr. Rex continued. Now, now get your thumbs involved. Just, just circle. Yeah, yeah, just like that. Good. Mm, mm, just keep doing that for a second. Carmina put her weight against Ezio's body and together they lowered to the ground. She threw off her robes and her breasts hung heavy over his face. She lowered her left nipple to his lips as he slid his hand down her muscled torso and beneath her waistband. Ah-ah, uh -uh, Carmina stopped him. You just climbed the ruins of the Colosseum. Your hands aren't clean enough for that. Oh, but my friend, he mumbled with a tit in his mouth as he placed his hands on both her hips. Okay, you're doing great, Des, but the Templars are coming, Dr. Rex told him. So you've got to make this happen. Get those pants off and get in there. We need answers. They tore off the rest of their clothes, and he was once again angry and jealous that he did not inherit Italy's largest stromboli. So tell me, assassin, Carmina said. How do you know I won't just kill you now? Your armor is gone and your hidden blade is exposed. The sun had almost set and fiery reds streaked across the sky from the west to tangle with the violet hues of twilight in the east. Desmond echoed Dr. Rex's words. Because you'd never let me die without knowing where the artifact is. This is true, she whispered and slipped herself around him, sliding his gondola into her Venetian canal slowly. Her eyes rolled back as she circled her petite waist around on top of his. Desmond had to wonder how the physics of all this really worked. Yes, Dr. Rex whispered. Yes, said Desmond. Yes, cried Carmina. We're at peak synchronization, Desmond. Now find out where the artifact is. Desmond panted. Then tell me. So if I die from passion in this moment, I'll die with the answers I seek. Carmina moaned louder. She couldn't think, couldn't speak. She was sweating, panting, and bouncing faster and faster. Desmond heard Dr. Rex making similar sounds. He was amazed he was actually lasting. This Ezio guy had some real skill. Carmina felt an explosion at her hips, which echoed through every part of her body, shooting energy from the tips of her fingers as she cried, Ah! 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 Alessandro's tomb! Ah! Dr. Rex cried, Yes! Yes! Desmond couldn't believe it. He always came first. This was incredible. He was actually going to... Okay, we got what we needed. Desynchronizing, Dr. Rex said. What? 
The gorgeous romantic sky from atop the Colosseum pixelated away and was replaced with the cold steel of the laboratory walls and ceiling. Desmond lay half-naked on the awkward dentist chair bed with an electronic balloon around his dick and... Oh, oh, shit! He came into the tube. Oh, seriously? He shouted. Dr. Rex came into the room, their hair a mess and their lab coat unbuttoned. Nice work, Des. That was everything I needed. Alessandro's tomb, who knew? What the fuck, he asked. You couldn't give me three more seconds? Look, Des, this equipment costs a lot to run, they answered. Every second you're in there is hundreds of dollars. Your zipper's down, Desmond said. Dr. Rex looked down and, sure enough, zipped up. Well, rest up. We've got a lot more to learn tomorrow. Tomorrow, Desmond asked. Well, we are the location of another artifact, and your ancestor, the pansexual Grecian demigoddess Alexandra, learned a great deal from her frequent regular orgies. But if you don't... No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I, I can do it. I'm free. That, that's fine, Desmond said. Perfect, Dr. Rex replied. Hey, don't forget to rinse out your cock sleeve, and I'll see you tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Thank you. Damn it, Dr. Rex. You're worse than Clint. Tease in the chat for Eli. Fantastic. Whew. A little steamed. A little steamed from that. We got one more for the pre-recorded round, so please get excited for your final contestant of the first round. You can follow him right now as at Captain Rad on Twitter, Instagram, and on Twitch. Uh, he is a sci-fi, a sci-fi magical realism writer uh, and novelist living in Atlanta. His collection of short stories is available on Kindle, titled "Everyone You Have Ever Loved Has Died in Your Arms in Another Dimension." Please tease in the chat for Michael Griffin. It's a me, Wario. Right, let's get into some Super Smash Pros for some Super Smash Hoes. It began as innocuously as any other day in the world of light. Everyone's favorite characters were brawling their hearts out in a perpetual melee of ultimate proportions. But little did they know that their familiar fracas would become a frenetic fuckfest unheard of from Nintendo and unrated by the ESRB. Bayonetta, that magical MILF supreme with more foot fetishes than you can shake a dick at, has a kinky plan for the evening bouts. She escorts all the kids from the battlefield in anticipation of the night's delights. Why do I have to leave, asked Joker. I had all sorts of sexy times with women older and younger than me in persona. Go be somewhat problematic in your own fan fiction, young man, says Bayonetta as she locks the door behind Ness, Pichu, Young Link, Pokemon Trainer, Lucas, Toon Link, Bowser Jr., and Sora. With the underage competitors out of the way, Bayonetta summons all the proper competitors to the field. Friends, foes, and fuck buddies, I think it's time we tried a new kind of single elimination, she says, biting her bottom lip in quivering anticipation. I've cast a spell of horniness over everyone here to level the playing field. The rules are simple. If you get off, you get out. If you come, you go. Only one smash hoe can make it to the top. Moans and murmurs from the crowd mark approval of her plan. This ain't the first time their tete-a-tete became a tit-a-tit. You can smell the tension as the countdown begins to the menage a multitude. They're used to testing their metal, but tonight they'll taste some metal and maybe even have theirs licked if they get lucky. And within the few first few strokes, we've already lost our first lives, dying in arms this night. Sonic may have the shortest refractory period known to furries, but he still shoots his wad too fast. Inkling covers more than half the playing field with her sticky goo, a win by many measures except today's. Shulk and Mithra foresaw a saga of orgasms across the night and can't help but fulfill their own prophecies. Pyrrha has no choice but to succumb to the prominence revolt in her pants as well. With those fecund foes out of the way, the Butle Royale begins in earnest. Donkey Kong whips out his king-sized donkey poncho on Yoshi's cute little cloaca, a shower of eggs erupting in his face. But Yoshi wraps his tongue around the Donkey Dong at the same time, resulting in a double KO. Kazooie, her heart fluttering as she watches from Banjo's backpack, can't help but explode her own eggs all over her constant companion as he also gives in to his primal desires. Ike's flexing his muscles for Kazooie, who seems to be taking his time, but neither of them can compare to Jigglypuff. 
She grows three stories and falls on top of them, satisfying their growth kinks before expending herself and falling gently asleep. The duck hunt dog is a little ho chuckle as he gives his duck and dick a consensual joke. Falco, hot-headed as ever, insists on going in alone and gets himself into a little trouble. Mewtwo thinks they can't be beat by such depraved creatures, but is proven wrong by Rob. That irascible robot turns their whole body into a vibrator, melting more than Mewtwo's mind. Rob, in turn, has their pleasure nodes stimulated beyond capacity by Pikachu's electric nuzzle, and Pikachu is sucked into Meta Knight's gaping black hole. Meanwhile, Nana from the Ice Climbers is exploring a different kind of mountain in Popo's pants. Likewise, Steve and Alex act out their own stepsister fantasy and manage to get their blocks off at the same time. The villager shows Rosalina where he keeps his bowling balls, and as she sucks him off, Luma copies her every move from behind. The Luminary, Roy, Crom, and Marth compare swords and who can polish theirs the fastest. With such a sensitive tip, Marth easily pulls out ahead. Robin shows Samus that technology is no match for the subtleties of magic as he triggers an awakening in both of them. Things are starting to heat up now. Bowser and Mario make up for lost time by giving the pillow Princess Peach the spit roast of their lives. Let's just say Mario's balls aren't the only things on fire. It's a furry fandom as Incineroar takes off his belt and straps Fox in for a ride to the stars. The two tumble from the top rope onto Diddy Kong's bottom. Of course, Diddy is the classic Nintendo power switch, giving as good as he takes. Ridley can't believe his nemesis Samus lost so early and goes looking for another strong, thin, fatale fighter, but he finds himself in a menage a trois with Min Min, Byleth, and Zelda. They all find out how long his tail really is as they straddle it to new heights of ecstasy. Not to be outdone, Dark Samus reveals her prime Metroid to him and opens his power door so hard he might not actually come back from this one. Pit and Dark Pit strip each other to find out who's the real one of the two. And naturally, Dark Pit finishes last. Solid Snake sneaks his Solid Snake to Daisy's back door, but finds Greninja has already infiltrated her bloom and bloomers. And while Link may have the right tool for every occasion, Captain Falcon shows him his moves as he takes the Master Sword and Blue Falcon in his broad hands and frots his way across the finish line. Richter mistakes Wolf for a werewolf and gives him a full moon to bury his nose in. But don't worry, this doggy got a bone in the end from Lucario, who was saving up his chi to blow up his hot, sticky aura everywhere. Ryu, Ken, and Terry think they can get some cheeks, cheap licks in on Palatina, but she summons an army of angels to beat off these bad boys. As usual, she watches from afar, pleasuring herself with another kind of staff. Lucina tells Ganondorf about her daddy issues, and in kind, he shows her his Triforce of Power Bottoms. She scores a critical hit on his middle-aged prostate, banishing him to a golden realm he's never experienced before. Ludwig is, de is determined to show off what he's hiding in his clown car, so he whips it out for Mega Man, who uses his copy system to beat him off at his own game. Olimar thinks since Little Mac is more his size that he might have a shot at stuffing a few Pikmin up Max Miatus, but Mac's more of a grower than a shower. He sticks and moves Olimar's antenna before throwing a straight right into his back hatch. K. Rule might think he's king, but he's never seen Isabel pop off like this before. She grabs his cape and rides his blunderbuss with the fury of a thousand Rossettis. Talk about an animal crossing. Simon Belmont's looking for a bloodsucker, but if he can't find that, he'll settle for a sucker of any sort. Corrin is happy to oblige, provided he can slay her dragon. Simon's no stranger to shapeshifters, though, and he chains her up with his whip and lifts his tunic for her to fill her part of the bargain. And the ultimate Omni-Slash fiction is fulfilled once again as Cloud and Sephiroth take turns choking each other out in an epic edgelord competition. The man in green takes on the man in black as Luigi and Game & Watch throw everything they have at each other. G&W's penis pump cancels out Luigi's perfectly stiff cock rocket with a rare nine, leaving the two gasping and panting for more. Wii Fit Trainer's tantric techniques have led her to the summit of sensation, and she unleashes, unleashes a wave of orgone on King Dedede, his massive hammer trembling as his perineum quivers in intense orgasm. A bunch of Mii fighters dressed as Goku, Sans, and Master Chief try to sneak into the orgy, but little do they know that Pac-Man's fulfilling his vor fantasies by gobbling them all up and feeling them squirm inside him. The loser's bracket makes a comeback as Mario plays Doctor and Zelda flashes into her chic form, 
but neither a match for Samus, who's literally wearing zero suits now. She advises the good doctor what to do with his speculum while she takes Sheik in her arms and strums her like a harp. We're in the final round now. Two of the biggest mouths have teamed up to face Bayonetta. Wario, who's eaten so much garlic he's transformed into the virile and tumescent Wario Man, and Piranha Plant, who's pretty much always just a pair of big dick-sucking lips on a long and elegant neck. Piranha goes high to plant one on Bayonetta's kisser, while Wario goes way low. But the kiss from those perfect lips is too much for the plant. She feels ecstasy surge through her roots. Bayonetta digs her heels into Wario's crotch, into Wario's crotch, which he is, of course, very much into, and comes with the force of his fully charged fart. Is that everyone then? asks Bayonetta as she surveys the sticky, peaceful battlefield. I suppose that I've won. Come on out, boys. And from the sky appear two massive gloved hands, the masterminds of the evening's depravities. Master Hand begins to caress her long black hair as Crazy Hand takes a more direct approach, twitching anxiously between her thighs. She sighs in anticipation of her reward. But wait, there's one final competitor. Kirby has inhaled all the losers, copying the sexual kinks and fetishes of everyone that came before. With such intense power, he inhales Master and Crazy Hand, gaining the ability to give Bayonetta a hand job that could crack the planet in half. But is so delicate, he finds her pearl in an instant, stroking slowly and surely to her final climax. And so Kirby is crowned the winner of the Spukaki Bacchanalia once again, the single elimination champ. But don't worry, he'll get his one of these bouts. After all, this is Smash Brothers. Everyone's a winner. Michael Griffin! Yes, two Super Smash hoes tonight here on the Adult Fan Fiction World Championships. I'm going to give Mike bonus points for remembering the Ice Climbers' names, but I'm going to take points away for letting Luigi fuck. I'm sorry, I'm just not into it. It's not for me. That's just the way it is. All right, so those are your entries for the pre-recorded round we'll have navi come back in just a moment here and we'll be dropping a link in the chat so that uh, you guys can vote on your winners we had ramon bender with super smash brothers we had john john with animal crossing we have navi back hey it's navi did i come in too early no you're good <laughs> Finish what, you're, finish what you're doing, then. Uh, we have uh, Katie Frazier with uh, Stardew Valley, Eli Banks with uh, Assassin's Creed, and Michael Griffin with Super Smash Brothers. Fantastic evening of uh, smut this evening. Yes, it is. Fantastic. And you know what? I'm going to just go ahead and do it. I'm going to drop the chat. Uh, the link to the poll is in the chat right now. Go yes. on and vote. Just vote. a reminder, the winner of this round gets... 50 bucks as well as a uh, a special gift from uber lube you'll get we'll send you some lube uh please go vote everyone uh we must have a winner and you've heard all of them and they were hilarious yes um yeah i think we've got a clear winner here all right let me hear it all right and the winner of smut if night two innuendo 69 uh the pre-recorded round is Eli Banks Eli for Assassin's Banks. Creed. Assassin's Creed. Fantastic yes, congratulations, work. Eli. Um, we will be in touch with you uh, to coordinate getting you your prizes. But congratulations. Tease in the chat for Eli. Yes. Tease in the chat for all of our Everybody. wonderful pre-recorded. Yeah, to for Ramon Bender, John John Johnson, Katie Frazier, and Michael Griffin. Uh, great job, as always. I love this event. Yes. 